0: Hello, Megan. How are you today? Hi, Paula. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. So happy to, to have you here and have this opportunity to chat with you and get to know about your journey and your practice. So thanks thank for you. being here. Yeah, thanks for
1: having me. Thanks for asking me to do it. Um, it's always a pleasure being able to connect with fellow UM family and community. So, yeah.
0: Great. So yeah, just to give you a bit of background, basically our podcast is about how everybody's journey is unique uh, and everybody has to kind of figure out what works for them, what works at different times. Um, there's just so many paths up the mountain, <laughs> you know, so how how we're just curious to learn about yours, you know, and maybe we can start from the beginning uh, if you could tell us a bit about um when you started your mindfulness journey, what was going on for you in your life and uh and what did you what did you discover? Oh
1: yeah. <laughs> um, what was going on? So um it's just a funny story that is interesting to look back on now. Um at one point, I was working in corporate and different human resources roles <clears throat> and talent acquisition roles, and in that journey, I had um, always known it was you know a way to make ends meet, but it didn't really feel like the space that I would have ended up in, you know, for eternity for the rest of my my life. So I ended up having kind of side call them like side hustles happening so i had like one side hustle that was um, focused on nutrition and uh, using afro-caribbean black recipes in a healthier way so choosing um, kind of our staple food items and then offering them in a way that was more nutritionally dense and more supportive to the health of our communities like our physical health and so um, i did that for a bit and then I just realized it was um, it wasn't a model that really worked well for me, and in that, you know, I was unconsciously, unintentionally exploring mindful eating and uh, mindfulness in the way that um, we show up to how we fuel our bodies and how we feel the somatic body and the emotional body and the connection between them and. So I was going to meditations, yoga, sound healing sessions, light language sessions, tarot, like just ex- Reiki, just exploring all the things. And, um, and then one day, somewhere along this journey, uh, after I'd had my daughter, it propelled me a lot further into it. Um, being a mom, definitely uh, just through mindfulness, like poof, right in my face, <laughs> um, I was like a must to be able to. Really be there for her, and um, to really be a mom of a of a black child in a society that uh, there's a lot of fear around um, what I have control of what i don't have control over, and so I was in a corporate job in h r and I turned to one of my good good friends who was doing a lot of youth activism she's younger than me, but she was doing all these incredible things across Canada and one of them was filming a documentary and things like that around history of black Canadians from Nova Scotia, right through all the way to Vancouver. So all the way across Canada. And she was just so inspiring. And I had been doing all of these things, like I said, and she just one day we just turned to each other and I was like I'm just gonna change my name from favorably fresh to uh, mindfulness Megan and it started as like a Instagram thing yeah it started as like a joke yeah and she's like (laughs) love it like let's do it you know and so that's just how it really came about one day we were just kind of playing around on our lunch hour connecting um as Two of like the few black people in the office venting about you know experiences of racism we were having and othering we were having in the environment and then also just like celebrating black joy eating food that you know spoke to us and you know getting in my car and driving around over the lunch hour and playing like our music and you know vibing and things like that and then that's how it really came about and and since then it's it's just been a, a journey of like dedicating and committing to, you know, what does mindfulness make? Like, what does that actually mean? And what is mindfulness and how that looks? And then I landed on Unified Mindfulness.
0: Oh, wow. That's so, such a wonderful story. So <laughs> always so interesting, right? The things that come together and the people that inspire us. Yep. And that also reminds me of how our presence can be inspiring to others, right? Like just the way your friend was and what she was doing. You're like, wait a second, I can, I can do that too. So that's beautiful. Yeah. And were you um doing, uh? Did you have a formal meditation practice at that time, or you were doing little workshops here and there? Or yeah, did that look like what did your day look like?
1: So I was doing. So was it more
0: parenting and trying to be mindful at the time or at work?
1: So. In 2010, I discovered Brene Brown and her vulnerability TED Talk. Okay. And mm-hmm. I'm sure there's like a million people who, whenever I hear people haven't heard of Brene Brown, I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so like back in 2010, like well before I was married, well before I had my daughter, I had I'd come across this TED Talk. And so I'd already started like not knowing that it's mindfulness, but a journey of, um, so I started therapy in 2009. And before that, I was like, therapy and mindfulness is for white people. Like black people don't do these things, you know, and that was the stigmas, right? That I, the internalized racism, like what psychologically I had swallowed and taken in, uh, you know, imposed on me with, without really recognizing that that was what was happening. And so to kind of answer your question in a in a bigger sense, I didn't really see myself in this space because there wasn't a lot of representation in this space nor culturally was it acceptable so that journey started in 2009 2010 i ran into Bernie brown's vulnerability but that propelled me into another unknown version of mindfulness where i was starting to really unpack and be contemplative right in mm-hmm. the things that i was um telling myself you know limited limited um limiting self-talk and, and beliefs and things that were holding me back from accessing like full wellness practices and a holistic way of doing that. And so um so I was doing things but I didn't have so I remember like you're probably going to ask me another question in this so it's going to snowball but um I remember looking up when I wanted to do mindfulness specifically I looked up like the MBSR mm-hmm. and with John Kabat-Zinn and I was like uh I don't really see myself in that space like it looks like very much a white centered um academic uh, focused space um, and some of the things that that at that time anyways before he was really working with Rhonda V. McGee before I even knew about Rhonda B. McGee um, at the time it was very much like it sounded almost like toxic positivity to me it just sounded inaccessible I'm like well, where are our bodies and the traumas that we have experienced um, not just as women but also as um black people where is that showing up it just um it didn't resonate with me it didn't it wasn't inclusive to experiences and practices that actually encompassed um the experiences that that i had and like how could i actually make it applicable in the life that i had and in the culture that i had and then um, being a mother and being a black mother and being a woman and you know living and living a certain kind of life, it just didn't sit authentically. So I would try to do those practices and I read the credentials and I read, you know, the cost to be able to get that. And and I really wanted to be certified because I knew I was already facing so many barriers, especially where I'm located. I was like the only, um, black person that I knew of that was exploring becoming a mindfulness coach or sort of certif- having a certification. And so the money was a barrier. The practices felt like a barrier. And then I kept going down this journey and I started doing some non-for-profit work with an organization called Parents for Diversity that's local here to Ottawa. And one February, it was I think it was like right before the pandemic hit. So I think it was 2020. In February, uh Juliana and Ronda V. McGee had a workshop and I popped into it, and I didn't even know what Unified Mindfulness was. And boom, from then on, it's it just led me into, um, you know, now I'm, I'm a lead coach with Unified Mindfulness. So I've done all the UM magic and certs, um, and been able to, to really be in that space, um, because the practices are, to me, very accessible and inclusive. And the way that you can custom some of those techniques and that you can access them even in small windows of time, even in noisy environments, even in um trigger, like, I would say, like, you know, trauma triggers, like how you can either turn away or turn towards, right, and be able to really have such a holistic approach to it uh really spoke to me. And so I didn't come in as a shin head. I didn't even know who Shenzhen was. So I came in really from a very different avenue. Um and uh and it's just changed my life, you know, for the better since.
0: Yeah. That's great. And can you tell us a bit more about Rhonda? Yeah. you mentioned her a few times and I have heard her name, but I don't know that much about her. So it'd be great to yeah. learn about what you what practices she does and what you I think I have her book here. From her.
1: Um, So she wrote, so anybody listening, you're not going to be able to see, but if you're watching, you'll be able to see. So she wrote a book called The Inner Work of Racial Justice, and she is a law professor uh, out of the States, and I believe she is out of, yeah, University of San Francisco. So um, she's a professor at Law of Law with them, and she does this work of merging mindfulness with racial justice, um, with obviously a U.S. based lens, um, doesn't specifically talk to like the oppressive and, um, racial justice challenges that Canada has, but it's relatable. And so she, she was brought in by Juliana to do, um, <clears throat> a, a workshop with Uh, Unified Mindful is hosting it, but it was her content and her uh, magic that she was sharing with everyone in practices. So that's her.
0: Yeah. And, and you also mentioned uh, working with trauma triggers, which is such an important part of practice. And I agree something that at times isn't um, covered in the traditional mindfulness space. I know for me personally, when I started to sit for long periods, I went on these long retreats and then I would come back more depressed. And then they would say, oh, that's okay. Like just, just you're just moving stuff through. <laughs> you know? I was like, yeah. I don't think it's okay that I'm crying all day. So I'm curious um, what what you've learned about uh, working with trauma, working with the body and how you've worked through those challenges.
1: Yeah, I, um, interesting question. So uh, I'm actually... I'm going to kind of start with today's awareness and wisdom, and I'll move backwards. So I'm reading a book right now by um, Dr. Gabor Mate, and it's called The Myth of Normal. And he's a Canadian. And so it's so nice to see uh, Canadians coming in with the lens of what Indigenous and Black bodies in this country are experiencing our education system. And then he just brings in like a really global lens. And so he defines trauma as a disconnection from self, which leads to a disconnection from others. And don't quote me on that because I'm just paraphrasing um, from the book. And so that's new insight for me. Um, and so when I look back at how I've addressed trauma triggers within myself and then also with the clients that I work with and the communities that I work with, um, it is actually very much about disconnection from self and without you know having that full awareness what i find with this space sometimes and i call it kind of the gentrification of wellness of the wellness world and we see how colonization how pervasive um the idea of and colonization to me is really just uh, the energy of like greed and um, and then we have all the more historical factors to it but it's the uh, appropriation of certain cultures and the lack of recognition of where those those cultures have originated from and and where these practices have originated from so just to give context because i do get a lot of questions like we don't use that in this part of the world but every part of the world has been impacted by uh colonization on some way or form or another uh so that gentrification of wellness to me is like packaging it up and being like, okay, cool, cool, cool. So here's how it's going to make you feel really good all the time. So when you get in the practice, you know, if you feel anger, it's fine. You'll feel better when you come out of it. Right. And so we might go in and and depending on who's teaching and where you're, where, where you land, right. That practitioner may take you into, okay, now we're going to, feel better right we're gonna you know these conditions that are gonna happen like and then we create these expectations of these conditions that are gonna happen when we get into the practice and then we have exactly what you described paula where we have actually trauma that shows up because we're human and not robots and the practice isn't To make us feel anything, particularly, it's really just practicing our three mindful awareness skills of concentration, being able to turn towards ourselves, sensory clarity. Okay, well, what the heck is happening right now, right, (laughs) within me? What am I seeing? What am I hearing? What am I feeling? Or not seeing, hearing, and feeling, right, the absence of. And then the equanimity of, like, being able to be with that as it is without this again, goes back to the point of trying to make ourselves feel differently or see or hear things differently than what is actually the truth in that moment, right? And so the push to like sit in a retreat or a practice may not actually be good for you, for everyone, right? If you have a trauma trigger showing up, what it's taught me is like, you can be flexible and honor what your needs are. And we get caught in the, well, mindfulness or meditation is supposed to be this. You're supposed to feel this. It's supposed to look like this. You should be doing this. You should have a fancy cushion. You should have done these, you know, and in reality, I know a big thing I teach around mindfulness, specifically from an Afro-Caribbean Black lens is for us, it was the moments that my grandmother would spend by her dresser, by her altar, right? And those were mindful moments. It's the movement of dancing, listening to reggae while cooking something like Aki and Saltfish or, or blending up some jerk sauce or, you know, it's, it's different for, for everyone. And it's being able to recognize that humming, for example. So Dr. Reshma um, Medicam, actually, I don't know if he's a doctor, but I call him a doctor. Rezma Medicam wrote My Grandmother's Hands. And, and in that book, he talks about humming specifically. So you would have seen a lot of, um, ancestors. Uh, African-American ancestors that were enslaved Africans that would hum uh, when they were, um, you know, working, right? Uh, It's not really working because they weren't really paid, but right. And so these types of practices are mindful practices. And so bringing bringing us back to Recognizing that there's not just one way to support trauma and that mindfulness doesn't just look one way and that it can support us. And then like an auto groove, I call it, which is an auto move practice with, with music, right? That, that also is very much a meditation. And, and there's all these ways you can play with the techniques to really honor what your body needs. And so it's really just taught me, like when I'm in a very deep depressive episode, sitting in it is not going to do anything good for me. And it all depends again on you you and what your, your needs are. And that's where that insight comes in on, okay, is this working for me or not? And then being able to go, cool, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do something else. Right. And I have done a 10 day, um, the passion, of course, which was very transformational and incredible. So, you know, it's just knowing And I did have trauma show up and I couldn't move in that. And and I was able to work through it, but I was in community and I was guided and I was supported, right? But again, you gotta know what's best for you. And the only way you're gonna do that, know that really is to do different things, try different things at different points in your life.
0: That's so helpful, Megan. I hear that there's flexibility there, right? So just when we're in a situation um, that's feeling very uncomfortable, we don't have to stay in it. We can because sometimes it could be helpful to observe, have get some sensory clarity. I guess that's the whole turn toward or turn away that either way is, um, uh, can work, is helpful, it's okay. Um, and and i love this idea of bringing the mindfulness into the things that you do into joyful practices like music and dancing and also we're all really busy we do have jobs and kids or or things that we have to do so in the moments when we are whether it's working or doing dishes or, or whatever it is to to make those moments of practice can be can be really powerful I love that yeah, That's great. Yeah. And can you think of a time maybe in your life when you were challenged that what you were the practices you were doing weren't working for you and you switched it up or did you get help with that? How do you how do you decide what practice to do, you know, what's most helpful at any time?
1: Oh, I have so many examples. Um yeah, this past year's been really challenging, so I started compass uh which is the um, last certification unified mindfulness offers for a lead coach uh, certification so i started that the first cohort i think it was the summer of 2021 i want to say and then went to 2022 yeah so in in that um again I'm kind of the minority that doesn't really um, follow Shenzhen the way that a lot of the, I would call them the elders, the seasoned unified mindfulness community members do. And I respect him and all that, but I don't, um, like my connection with UM is very much like UM, Juliana um, and the, the community. And so the definitions, like the very, intense, um, theory part of it, uh, is hard for me because I'm very much a feeling body person. (laughs) So I navigate things very somatically and emotionally, and then those things may inform my more cerebral experience. Um, and that's been challenged lately. So I'll talk a little bit about, you know, my own self-perception and then working with healers and uh, and how that shifted as well. But anyways, at the time when I started, I was very overwhelmed with the theory. So there's a lot of definitions and like you're going into a see-here field, for example, technique in so much depth um, that it was very overwhelming. And I felt very out of place. And I think there may have been one other Black person in the Compass cohort. And in at least my, my cohort, um, cause there was two groups in two different times. And so really, like, there's so many things for me that I just felt, oh, like I'm nut, like I'm an other, right? And so that triggered that. And it's not like that was imposed. It's not like that was the intention. It's not like that was actually even 100% valid, but my feelings in it were very present. And so on honoring that validity. And so I had, um, I connected with uh, some other coaches that I'm close with and connected also with Juliana and shared my feedback around, you know, what I was feeling and what I was experiencing. And at the time I was also experiencing some pretty, uh, pretty heavy depressive episodes. Um, that was when uh, the pandemic was like we're about a year and a half in now, um, you know. Vaccines start coming out, uh, and we're you know uncertain about that. Um, and so, just like lots of uncertainty, lots of unknowns. And then on top of that, I had uh, i going through a separation, um, and you know, so that was also kind of happening parallel. Um, and then. Uh, and my business was doing really well, but I was, you know, self-employed trying to juggle all the balls plus, you know, do the compass. So, um, so I found the seated practices were, were just, were not working. And, um, and I was just beating myself up. Like I should be doing this more. should be that. And I should be able to read these terms and just get them. Like, you know, you're a fraud. You're not in, you know, and all of that started to come up. And, um, and I remember I had a, really eye-opening conversation after a dyad with um it was mercy and I just shared like you know really what I was feeling and I just like had like a very somatic experience of just you know teared up started crying like just allowed myself to be in it and she said to me she gave me this beautiful prayer um that she connects with and then said to me something along the lines of um, it sounds like you're using movement to connect with yourself. So let's go back to the definition of trauma, right? And the paraphrase that Dr. Gabor Matei gives, you know, separating the pandemic, like all those things are trauma. They can show up as trauma in the body, right? And create a disconnection. And so when she said that to me, I was like, and she's like that, you know, that's it, Megan. Like, that's all you need to do. Right. And that was one of those like pivotal moments for me um, that really just made a difference uh, on how I was judging my own practice and accessing the practice and how I was judging myself in the space of unified mindfulness, feeling really uh, crippled by the depressive thoughts that were telling me I'm not enough. I don't belong here. Um, you know, all of those things that were really creating limiting beliefs and bringing up old limiting beliefs that I was like, I'm over this now I've done all the therapy and all the work. And then boom, you know, life hits you and you're like, Oh my God, it's back. <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> you know, the, the ebbs and flows of it. Right. And so, um, so everything I was trying to do before just wasn't working. I was like, well, you have given me all this, all this in the beginning. And now I'm just like, uh, the depths of despair. See here, feels not working. Flow's not working. Nothing's working. And, uh, and, you know being able to recognize like oh this is the practice in real life
0: yeah that's such a such a powerful story i love that uh you could have easily been like this isn't for me i'm just going to quit right I thought about <laughs> and it. often we do. yeah I thought about it
1: i'm not going to lie but, I was like yeah and you know, and
0: maybe Sometimes that's the answer, but that the bravery, and it was like Brene Brown, right? Like being courageous and being like, hello, this is not. Yeah. Being vulnerable. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And opening up about it and, and sharing that, which I'm sure would be really helpful also for the program, for them (laughs) to know that some people are feeling that way. And then also to get the support you need. I also really resonate with, uh, movement as, um, as practice in and of itself I also find when I'm in the depths of a despair sitting in it doesn't always work so to move it through so so helpful um yeah so that's really beautiful and I like how, yeah it's a kind of this combination of you go inwards you kind of feel like this isn't it's not driving so what do I need to shift but also getting the support like that gives support get support piece of it like what gonna support myself but who can support me so that we can find re- the reconnection like there's a yeah. disconnect going on i really like that definition of trauma like you've disconnected from yourself and sometimes even these very practices that are meant to heal us or or, or support or us or, make yeah. us feel better yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they uh can cause the disconnect or contribute to it so exactly Really. yeah not not
1: intentionally but just
0: mm.
1: you know just in our in our with our best of intentions right just
0: yeah not
1: able to to really see that um, it's not for us but we get stuck sometimes in the what I should be doing how it should look and what it's supposed
0: to and not supposed right yeah and sometimes there there's more freedom than we when than we think we think we should do yes like, Wow look at that there's more options. Yeah, and there are practices
1: yeah. in mindfulness that are very strict, right? And yes, um, mm-hmm. and so you know, if that's something that you want to explore, feel free, right? And recognizing also that there are different phases of your practice and your yes. journey, right? And so maybe, yeah, the passion of like I'm really doing a lot of a passion, and now mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I've gone back to that, <clears throat> which is similar to flow, where you're like sweeping the body and noticing impermanence and Nietzsche is how uh, how they describe it, and noticing that change. Um, but that's because now all the trauma that I've experienced, because even just after that time, my dad was diagnosed with cancer. I had a miscarriage. Um, I had a flood and had to move, uh, you know, divorce got uglier and uglier and uglier. Right. And so in all of those things that kind of proceeded into 2022, um, I, the disconnection from my body became further and further and further apart. Like it just, it became more, the gap became bigger. So the disconnection was bigger. And so, I maintained a pretty cerebral approach to it but then my body was talking to me and i was like in auto and so my nervous system was shot my hormones are shot right and so now it's working with um i have a good friend that's a healer in brampton ontario and she does shamanic and reiki and energy work and so she's been supporting me and really getting back into the body and being with that and so the passion really just allows you to just continue to keep sweeping the body and be with the body as much as my mind is so used to. All right, we got a problem. Let's solve mm. it, you know, um, or let's analyze it, or let's, you know, really go into it from our cerebral standpoint. And and so it's being able to um, to know like this is my season right now is just a very somatic emotional season I need to be in, and I need to invite more rest, and and I need to say no more. And I need mm-hmm. to just be with the beingness of myself without anything too complex um, right now. And so, you know, I share that only because <clears throat> at one point, like I would have definitely identified more with being um, being in the body and realizing that I've actually come farther away from it where I, that's my compass. Like I'm mm-hmm. feeling, like I navigate the world very much through feel um and so you know knowing yourself and in and the journey like and, and we're not always going to fully know ourselves but having that curiosity always being something that's in the background is really helpful
0: yes yeah the curiosity and I love how you mentioned seasons right because something might work for us at one time and then we might think oh this is the thing that I should do for the rest of my life and then it stops working and to just to to navigate and shift and and have that that connection with yourself to know um I mean we try this and also to to try and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't right like you can try this and then maybe you like it maybe you like some parts of it and if not you can try something else and getting the support you need and i love this um concept of rest i've been thinking a lot about that as well and um, because we do live in in a world where um it's all about doing all the time and even the practices can become doing right. Like, Oh, I should meditate more. I should eat healthy. I should exercise. So that instead of becoming nourishing, it's like another way to, to beat yourself up. (laughs) So I'm curious if you have a favorite rest practice, uh, that you do or you've been doing lately. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, like I said, saying no more.
0: Yes. Um,
1: and uh so i'll schedule times like not necessarily like in um, a tangible way where i'll go on my calendar and actually schedule time but i am very mindful of what my work week looks like what my days look like and so i make room for life that could life could happen at any Mm -hmm. point right and so before i was just like you know, schedule out my day, schedule my week and, and not really make room for things and the things that happen. And I'd be so cheesed. I'd be like, oh my God, like this isn't helping me because I need to get this done and that needs to get done. And, you know, and, and that would just continue to like spiral me further and further into, into um, some pretty dark places. And, and that looked like uh, somatic and emotionally like helplessness, hopelessness, restlessness. Right. And so now, I can tell when I start to get overwhelmed and start to feel those things. It's like, all right, I've either overcommitted or have made room to be a human being today mm-hmm. with all the ever changing things and uncontrollables that can come up. And so, you know, that's a big practice for me now is to schedule in time that I have nothing to do but just be. Mm-hmm. And, um, that has really been, honestly, a very challenging and also decolonizing practice, like a mindful decolonizing practice, because the society that I live in in North America, the way that it shows up in capitalism and um, and that it's also like the mindset, right? The mindset of you know I, I need more of this so like exactly what you said paul at the beginning like i am not enough um if i don't have this i'll be enough when i lose five pounds i'll be enough when i have these certifications i'll be enough when i'm my hair is straighter. i'll be enough when i uh, am married have kids when my parents approve me when my siblings love me i'll be enough when this person accepts me right i'll be enough when i've spent this money on this makeup on this outfit on this that and the other thing and so that, to me, that greed that is driving, right, that scarcity is very much like what drove many ancestors into really terribly uh, genocide-like behaviors that colonization brought in. And so we still very much in a society uh, are impacted by, for example, there are certain color tones that are above others, right? And no matter where you travel in the world, if you happen to be white passing, there is a there's a treatment that that comes with that. You know, whether you're going to Jamaica, which was a Commonwealth island, or you're going to the continent of Africa and you're traveling through Africa, or even Brazil and you're in South America and you're experiencing, you know, what what that privilege of of that looks like. Whereas for me, you know, my lived experiences and seeing all of these things, I'm like, oh my God, like we psychologically, the psychological violence. Marcus Garvey, um, who was a Pan African activist, had said what Bob Marley had shared in his song, Emancipate Ourselves from Mental Slavery. None but ourselves can free our mind. And the mental slavery for me is all that internalized uh, oppressive, limiting beliefs that I, and, and values and, and conditioning and um, so many things, right? (laughs) Like life experiences, the traumas, like everything, um, the othering, uh, you know, it's going into recognizing like, I am not more worthy of connection and belonging because I'm productive, because I'm this, because I'm that. And that, you know, goes back to the rest piece, right? It's, Recognizing, right? Whether we want to call it decolonizing or we want to call it insight or enlightenment, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. there is a societal blanket and influence in, and, and there, and our history has informed us into where we are today. And so recognizing, like, rest is not encouraged. productivity is encouraged hmm i wonder why right how are the systems set up who's benefiting from us constantly being productive and constantly being in a state of scarcity who's benefiting because i'm not yeah i'm not benefiting at all in fact when i take time to rest and i take time to say you know f productivity i'm throwing that out the window i'm just going to be today the next day or the two days after a week later, when I go to show up to the kids that I support in the school or the educators that I support or my communities or my daughter or my partner or my family, I'm actually far more grounded, more present with them. I am really taking on the responsibility of being of caring for myself and being self-aware from that place of care. And that is so much more powerful, but we're, we're in an illusion that that's self-care is selfish. That, you know, mindfulness either isn't for us or that we can't access it a certain way, things like that. Right. And and in reality, like your practice doesn't have to be productive in the way that you see it. Let's redefine what productivity looks like in our practice. Right. Let's redefine, you know, is rest productive? Can it be? Yeah. Can oh, yes. you know what I mean? Like, how do we, how yes. do we, you know, what, what, and then what is the goal? Like, is the goal to be productive? Like, again, you go into our practice and go, I'm going to feel better. I'm going to be so productive. It's going to be so efficient. Like, what are you going in with? Right. And, and how are you making room to just be, no matter what that looks like and that outcome, may be at the end? Yeah,
0: that permission to, to rest is so, so powerful. And Megan, one, um, I have two more questions. The first one would be, um, if you're finding yourself or for any of us that find ourselves, oh, we've taken on too much. We're in the middle of a busy day. We're exhausted. Should have rested. Now I feel bad because I should have said no, but I'm here. Is there a little micro hit, you know, some way to in 30 seconds or a few minutes, you can get back? What, what would be your favorite one? And can you maybe guide us through? a little micro hit that we could do
1: yeah it really depends um <laughs> so like yesterday uh I got um an email in that was just something I just it's very triggering um and I'm just going through the system and the system that I happen to be going through is a very it's a violent system let's put it that way and so anytime I get something from this system I'm like oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the you know things start to happen, right? Um I have somatic sensations immediately, like boom, like a drop in my gut, an anxiousness in my chest, my shoulders start to lift, and so having that sensory clarity, oh, my body's going through something, and then I start to have thoughts, and I it's like I almost lose my breath in a way, Um, and so my my nervous system also has a reaction. So paying attention to what that looks like and how that's informing my thoughts as well, what I'm the inner chatter is and what I'm seeing. So what I did was I just started doing some really very low, um, like almost like grunting noises to move the energy up and through my body. So in hypnobirthing, I learned this when I was delivering my daughter, um, because I did a, a natural birth. And You know, you see in the movies where people when they're you know giving birth, but actually in reality, what you want to be doing is "Ah," and I know it's a very odd sound. So I just started really doing that and just "Ah," and you can do like a really deep ohm as well, like and allowing for a very um I can even feel my energy now. I was like, "Ooh, thanks for doing that, Megan." Like I'm here for it, right? And giving way to the to sound and vibration through the body, supporting you know your ability to get grounded again and get centered again, right? If putting your feet on the ground, going out and taking a walk, right? Like those things take certain. I find certain movements and then we're not always inclusive to all our bodies. Not everybody's able body can get up and just walk. Not everyone has the privilege to be able to be safe in a place where they can walk. Right. So for me, I find like sound, being able to express sound or movement. Those are my 30 second go-tos like I'll, very quickly, just get up and be like, ah! and start, you know, moving around and start grunting and start, you know, my partner, yeah. knows me now. he just knows now, right? So, especially if I'm in the car and I'm driving too, and it's like something hits me,
0: and I'll just be like, ah! so I think we should do it. Can we do 30 <laughs> seconds together. No, <Yeah>, I'm down. <laughs> Let's do I'd mean, be
1: listening and be like, okay. <laughs> But we can guide you. We can guide you. Okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Bit. Why don't you guide us? I'll mute yeah. myself so we don't over talk, but you, you guide us through like maybe just 30 seconds of it.
1: Awesome. Okay. Yeah. Let's Thank do it. Thank you. Um So we're going to take a deep breath in through the nose and on your exhale, just a low, low, low sigh. We'll start with that. We're going to do that two more times. Deep breath in through the nose. Full, 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 full. Hold it for three seconds. And deep sigh out louder now. <sighs> deep breath in through the nose. And this time we're gonna either deep ohm in whatever pitch you like or the grunting noise that you heard me make. So inhale through the nose and let it out. Ha. <sighs> pushing from the diaphragm and that belly that deep low belly area that sacral area and just allowing that to to fill your body and if you want shake your hands out bring them up above your head bring them around call them jazz hands right <laughs> there we go
0: that was awesome you know, I feel like I don't even notice all the tension I hold, you know, just trying to keep it all together. So, yeah, just a few seconds of that. It's beautiful. Thank you. You're
1: so welcome.
0: And just my last question, is there anything that you'd like to share that we haven't shared so far? Anything you want to tell us about the work you're you're doing now that you'd like to share with our listeners?
1: Yeah. Um, so, <clears throat> I actually launched a really cool program with um, another coach that I work with here in the Ottawa Gatineau area uh, called the Thrive Program. And it's a program where we work with the educators uh, first, then we work with the students. And it's a way to bring in contemplative practice into restorative justice. So really inviting in nonviolent communication on such a deep spiritual level and uh, taking it from like, the step-by-step of when I do this and I do this and really having it embodied as a way of being and then bringing in all the UM to magnify that, to solidify that, to support that and help our educators and our students um, who are very burnt out, who do have trauma, who don't always feel safe in a institution, let's be honest, that um, isn't built in the most inclusive ways and so thrive is uh is my latest baby that i have been doing um with a couple schools um on the gatno side and uh before that i have done and still have the mindful educator program which is an 8 week program that infuses uh again restorative justice contemplative justice racial justice um anti-oppressive approaches to mindfulness and to educating From a mindful lens and having that mindful awareness as well Uh, because learning doesn't just happen in one way and so a big part of it is making space for the little human beings that we're supporting in a system that isn't uh isn't always super inclusive and um does have a history of you know school to prison pipeline for many of our bodies and how to dismantle that you know one step at a time one person self-aware and contemplative at a time um, coupled with so many other, you know, accompanied by so many other amazing practices uh, out there to support decolonizing pedagogy and so on. So that's my contribution is is coming in from that lens and supporting it from from that angle. Um, and then uh, I'm still doing community work, but it's just uh, it looks a little bit different now because I'm inviting so much rest in to um, support my family uh, through this difficult time and to support myself and my body also in recovering as well so um that may look like full moon retreats or rituals or practices it may also just look like in general wellness retreats like mindfulness retreats with other practitioners i love to partner with people mm-hmm. um and uh yeah i think that's about it and then the, all the work i get to do with unified mindfulness whenever it comes up um, so if you're ever in any of the cohorts for pathways i may be a support coach um, i may be doing different things in compass as well so Uh, So that's, yeah, that's probably it in a nutshell right now.
0: That's wonderful, Megan. Thank you for all the wonderful work that you do and for your time and energy today. Uh, Yeah, and I'm looking forward to continuing to to collaborate and work together. And have a wonderful and restful rest of the day.
1: Yes, and you too. Thank you so much for having me on here.
0: Thank you. Our pleasure.